Bodies in the Bag, the Missing Podcast Australia. The following podcast contains content that some listeners may find confronting. Parental guidance is recommended for children. Welcome to The Missing. My name is Manny Karoudis. People disappear for a variety of reasons, from misadventure or accident to foul play, or voluntarily to start new lives. Over the years, I've reported on hundreds of missing persons cases, from runaway teenagers to elderly people with dementia who become confused and lost, and other cases where something more sinister has occurred. No matter the circumstances around someone going missing, each case shares a common thread that binds them all tightly together. It is the overwhelming sense of loss and helplessness that suffocates the loved ones who are left behind. There is no expiry date on the pain and heartache it lasts forever. As I've said many times before on this podcast, there is no discrimination when someone vanishes, because missing can affect anyone, regardless of age, sex, race or social standing. I've only ever had two careers in my life, cop and TV reporter producer. These are two careers where you get to see up close and personal some pretty harrowing things. I've seen the dark side of people, and after a while you tend to expect the worse, so in the end not much surprises you. But there are stories that stand out from the bunch, stories that shock even the most hardened cop or battle-weary journalist because of their sheer brutality. This next story is one of those. It's December 1993, a week before Christmas on a bright sunny day on Sydney's affluent Lower North Shore. On Berry Island Reserve, a beautiful piece of harbourside bushland, families are out enjoying the sunshine as children laugh while they chase each other and play ball games. It's a picture-perfect neighbourhood on a postcard-perfect day and not a place where you would expect to find something evil. But what is uncovered here turns into one of the most bizarre criminal cases in New South Wales police history. Homicide detectives are investigating the bizarre murder of a young woman dumped in a waterside reserve at Wollstonecraft in Sydney's north. The female body is discovered inside a striped laundry bag by children playing cricket when they go to fetch a ball hid into a cluster of trees and bushes. One of the kids notices the half-buried bag and pokes it with a stick, causing a dark liquid to seep through the material. Curious about what is inside the bag, he opens it and gets the fright of his life. Police say the victim, in her 20s, was stuffed in a plastic bag. The body was partially buried by leaves under a boulder. Homicide detective Ian Lynch receives an urgent call to drop whatever he's doing and to attend the scene immediately. When you looked in the bag, you could see the remains of a, a very small female. Um, and she'd been uh, folded up without having been dismembered in any way, shape or form. The woman is naked. Her tiny frame has been bent over and folded like a pretzel. The body is badly decomposed, but forensic police managed to identify her. It was very shortly after the finding of the body, um, a single fingerprint was identified. She was Dawn Street. Dawn Street was from Victoria and police there had charged her husband Eddie with sexually assaulting her a few years earlier. Victorian police tell Ian Lynch that the couple had later reconciled 
then left Victoria and were known to be living somewhere in Sydney. Ian quickly tracks down an address for the couple in Annandale, a suburb in Sydney's inner west. When he does a background check of the couple, he discovers they are well known to local police for their domestic disturbances. Dawn was only a tiny slip of a woman, and she often ended up on the canvas for a 10 count after one of their boozy, violent fights. Nothing very nice about Eddie Street. He had a very extensive criminal history um, in relation to uh, violence against women, most particularly. Eddie, the wife beater, is heavy set, which is a polite way of saying he's fat but solid. He has long, greasy, unkept hair that drops just short of his shoulders and a ruddy complexion. Eddie is an alcoholic, and his face shows the signs of years of hard drinking. It has a red glow brought about by the alcohol, causing his blood vessels to dilate, and his large, red, bulbous nose dominates it. When questioned by police, Eddie tells them Dawn took off weeks earlier, after a fight, and never came back. He claims he hasn't seen or heard from her since, and tells investigators he made a missing persons report to local police, which checks out. Despite his terrible record of abuse, Eddie appears to care that his wife is dead and acts like a grieving husband, as depicted in this TV appeal for information. Anyone who knows anything, I'd really love to know. I've watched Eddie's appeal over and over, and while Eddie tries to put on an emotive performance for the cameras, I think he's full of bullshit. He avoids eye contact, and his expressions are impassive and appear staged. Homicide detective Ian Lynch suspects Eddie knows more than he's letting on. But with the autopsy on Dawn's body unable to determine a cause of death, he can't move in and arrest him just yet. Eddie Street claimed that his wife had left him um, 17 days before the discovery of the body. Dawn! The telly! He was able to nominate a TV show that had been showing that night. They'd both watched the show. He'd gone to have a shower. And when he'd come out, she'd left and he hadn't seen her since. Eddie tells police he was watching a movie called Cocoon. Police check the TV guide and discover this part of Eddie's story is true, but they're not convinced about the rest of it. So they set out to try and debunk his account about Dawn's disappearance. Before I go on, I want to explain how I know Ian Lynch, the chief investigator on this case. When I joined Darlinghurst Police Station as a uniform constable, Ian was attached to Darlinghurst Detectives. A couple of years later, when I transferred to the detective's office, which had moved into the newly minted Sydney Police Centre, Ian asked me outside for a chat on my first day. I was nervous, but listened to what he had to say. He proceeded to warn me about a couple of rogue detectives and told me to be careful whenever I work with them and to be careful to not get sucked into abusing and misusing the badge. I appreciated Ian looking out for me back then and we've remained good friends since that day more than 30 years ago. He's a good guy and one hell of a brilliant investigator. Ian is also a big man, about six foot five with broad shoulders and a sharp mind. He spent years in the homicide squad solving some of the state's most complex and horrific murders, but he ranks the murder of Dawn Street as one of the most bizarre he's ever been involved in. After this short break, police try to catch Eddie Street in a lie. I'm Eddie Carudas. I'll be back with the missing podcast soon. 
Are you ready to get an inside look at crime from someone who has investigated some of Australia's worst crimes? It was like Aladdin's cave. The luminol found bloodied footprints and bloodied handprints on a wall. So it's yeah. just like a horror movie. Former homicide detective Gary Jubilant sits down with cops, crims, addicts, victims, small-time cheats, and big-town lawyers as they tell their incredible stories. My house got raided. Next thing you know, I got bail refused. Next thing you know, I'm on a truck yeah. to Parkley Prison. Listen to I Catch Killers early and ad-free on Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts today or wherever you get your podcasts. Back on the case of murdered woman Dawn Street, who was reported missing by her husband Eddie, then found stuffed inside a laundry bag a few weeks later, police think her husband Eddie is telling big porkies, so they decide to hit the streets around the neighbourhood where Eddie and Dawn lived to canvas houses and local businesses for potential witnesses. When they speak to the local chemist, they hit pay dirt. He tells Ian that he sold Eddie a camera a few weeks earlier and that Eddie had brought some film in for processing and that the photos had not been picked up yet. Ian asks to look at them and one in particular catches his eye. It's a photo of Eddie taken inside his flat with a wardrobe in the background the wardrobe door is open and there, as plain as day, is a striped laundry bag, just like the one Dawn's body was stuffed in. It's a lead, but lots of people own striped laundry bags, so it's not enough to move in and arrest Eddie. A taxi driver then contacts police and tells them that three weeks earlier he picked up a man from Wollstonecraft Railway Station, which is up the hill from Berry Island Reserve where Dawn's body was buried. He remembers the man was carrying a big blue suitcase and that he drove him to Annandale where the man got out near where Eddie and Dawn were living. The cabbie recalls the man telling him during the drive that he'd had a fight with his wife and stormed out but later changed his mind and decided to return home and make up with her. The cops are on a roll. Piece by piece, they're building a case against Eddie Street. Yet another witness, a local nun, tells Ian she saw Eddie and Dawn together many days after he claimed she left him and he reported her missing. She distinctly remembers Dawn wearing a pair of blue stretch pants. It seems Eddie is lying and Dawn didn't walk out 17 days earlier. Ian decides to pay him a visit at his new address, another boarding house in Annandale. The cops want to find the blue stretch pants and any other supporting evidence to build a strong circumstantial case against Eddie. We searched a large bundle of clothing looking for a pair of blue stretch pants. And it became necessary to take a lot of clothing that still belonged to Dawn back to perhaps examine elsewhere. Detective Ian Lynch looks around the room for a bag to carry the clothes back to the police station. Two suitcases were sitting on the floor of the unit. Um, we asked if we could take a suitcase to put the clothing in. He nominated a red suitcase which had been sitting there. I opened the red suitcase. I said, well, this one's already got something in it. I opened the blue suitcase and inside that blue suitcase found another suitcase. I then opened the suitcase. What greets Ian causes him to recoil backwards in horror, knocking over another detective out of the way and landing them both on the floor. They both let out various expletives because inside the suitcase is the blood-stained body of another woman. When Eddie is asked about the body in the suitcase, what he tells police is shocking. 
He said, that's Linda. We've had a, we had a hell of a fight last night. It turns out the body in the suitcase is Eddie's new girlfriend, Linda. In this recorded interview with Ian, he gives a bizarre account of how she died. Okay, what happened there? I turned around, she started sticking this damn knife into herself. She got the knife, she's plunged it in like so. In the police video recorded inside Eddie's flat, he makes thrusting motions into his chest and stomach to show how Linda apparently committed suicide by stabbing herself. Was the blade going into her? Yeah. Well, I went to grab it. Was she bleeding? Well, I didn't quite notice any blood was happening that quick. Despite having a stab wound in the middle of her back, Eddie maintains he didn't kill her. But then he surprises police back at the police station during a second recorded interview when he does admit to killing his wife Dawn with a pillow. When you took that pillow and placed it over her face, I didn't really have any attention. It just seemed to happen. I just seemed to snap, just pick it up and just put it over her face. It appears Eddie suffocated Dawn in a fit of rage. Like I said, I didn't realise she was dead. I just put my arm around her, just laid there for a while. When she didn't move, I realised something was wrong. Not knowing what to do with Dawn's body, he stuffs her into a suitcase and catches a cab to the Wollstonecraft. At Berry Island Reserve, he finds a secluded spot in the bush and buries her. The day after his arrest, police take Eddie back to the reserve and he walks them through what he did. Dug the hole. Dug the hole. Then what did you do? Pulled my wife out of the suitcase and put her in the hole. In a bizarre twist to the case, a false lead pursued by detectives turned out to be the key to cracking the case wide open. Remember the witnesses who thought they saw Eddie and Dawn together after Dawn went missing? Well, they were mistaken. This error proved to be a stroke of luck for investigators because it was whilst searching for a pair of blue stretch pants that the nun told police Dawn was wearing when she saw her and Eddie together that police stumbled upon the lifeless body of Linda in the suitcase. In another bizarre twist, Eddie told Ian that uniform police stopped to speak to him in Wollstonecraft when he was en route to Berry Island and carrying Dawn's lifeless body in a suitcase. He said the cops asked him what he was doing out so late and what was in the suitcase. Eddie explained that his missus had kicked him out, so he'd grabbed a bag full of clothes and was on his way to stay at a mate's place. The cops never asked to look inside the suitcase. If they had, they would have discovered Dawn's body. Incredibly, even after confessing to the murder of Dawn, Eddie refuses to confess to the murder of his girlfriend Linda, maintaining that she killed herself by stabbing herself to death. Police discovered that Eddie also made a missing persons report about Linda and tried to throw investigators off his trail by blaming Linda's ex-boyfriend, who he claimed was violent and had threatened to kill her. At Eddie's trial, the judge and jury found his claim absurd and based on the evidence, he was convicted of both murders and sentenced to life in prison. His court papers were marked never to be released, which meant there was no chance of parole for Eddie and he would die behind bars. In jail, Eddie's nickname was Suitcase. Double murderer Eddie Street died in Sydney's Long Bay Jail from cancer in 2007, bringing to an end one of the state's most strange and creepy killers. That concludes this episode of The Missing Podcast Australia. I'm Eddie Karoudis, 
thank you for listening. The Missing is a creation of Many Karutas, produced by Many Karutas and Martin Weaver. The Missing is endorsed by the Daniel Morgan Foundation and supported by the National Missing Persons Coordination Centre. Don't forget to subscribe to The Missing via ACAR, Spotify, Apple and the Google Podcasting apps. To view photos of missing people featured in this series, please visit our webpage at themissingpodcast.com and don't forget to like our Facebook and Instagram pages. If you have a missing loved one that you would like me to feature on the podcast, please make contact through my webpage. And if you have any information about a missing person's case, please call Crime Stoppers on 1800 333 000. The podcast Faith on Trial looks into Hillsong, both in Australia and the U.S., and takes both the listener and hosts on unexpected twists and turns in the story of Brian Houston and the singing preachers. There are two incidents involving Pastor Brian. The Australian journalists uncovered a litany of alleged criminal behavior in the megachurch. Financial gifts were being given to the leaders of the church. Listen to Faith on Trial Hillsong ad-free on Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts today or wherever you get your podcasts.